So good morning. My name is Paul Roberts. I'm a strategic solutions architect here at AWS. And you know, first off, I'd just really like to thank everybody for joining us today. I know there's a lot of people that have traveled very far to be here with us. Uh, reInvent is, is a great experience for everybody. I think, I hope everyone has been having a great time so far. So today, what we're going to be discussing is serverless encoding at scale with content moderation via deep learning-based image analysis or video analysis. So before we, we, we start, just with a show of hands, how many people are involved in the media space? Awesome. Very good. You're in the right session. So <clears throat> with that said, there, there's a lot of work being put into uh, content moderation and video-based analysis, and we have some interesting serv services to discuss. So just in terms of some of the topics that we're going to be going over, number one, I want to discuss the linear television business model and just how it's evolving over time. And specifically, we're seeing over-the-top services such as Netflix and Hulu and, of course, Amazon. And how is this changing the linear television model? Number two, transcoding at scale with AWS. I've had experience working with several major providers where uh, we've had um, massive compute clusters in order to do transcoding, but how can you do that with AWS? Number three, content moderation. How can you perform content moderation with our advanced AI services? And then once we have all of that, once we understand the different capabilities that we have with AWS, what does a typical architecture look like? And can we actually build something? And not only will we build something, I'll show you a demo at the end that walks through the end-to-end -end pipeline of what this looks like. So we'll have a great demo at the end. So creating a TV network is now as easy as creating an application. And an investment is pouring into content production around the world. We are all pioneers of internet television. And together, we are replacing linear TV. This is what Netflix said at their Q2 earnings statement. And if you look at what's happening right now with these over-the-top streaming services, it's a significant shift. Another show of hands, how many people have already binge-watched uh, Stranger Things? So we're seeing this more and more. It's a provocative and pervasive, pervasive change. Over-the-top streaming services at the end of 2016 had 49 million homes which had used either Hulu or Amazon or something similar. And by the end of 2017, there's going to be 1.6 billion people that have accessed an over-the-top streaming service, which is pretty amazing. So what does that mean from a content, an annual content spend perspective? Netflix today is sitting at roughly about $6 billion. They've announced that they're going to tick this up between seven and eight billion. Amazon is about four and a half billion dollars today. Hulu is approaching two and a half billion, with HBO rounding things out at about two billion. So with the annual content spend, there's a massive opportunity to get involved in looking at revisiting these architectures, these encoding architectures, and there's new things that we can look at. And not only that, with these companies making these significant investments, what's the return for them? Is, are people actually adopting and, and viewing their content? You guys have already mentioned that you've already binge-watched Stranger Things, so my assumption is yes. But what about some industry recognition? One way that we can look at this is just by looking at Emmy nominations. And so if you look here, the first two, HBO and Netflix, these guys are garnering a significant share of their overall Emmy nominations. And you see Hulu and Amazon kind of trailing towards the end, but then you have the traditional networks you know, there in the middle. So 
what does that really mean? I think what we're starting to see is a trend to some of these over-the-top streaming services, and combined with how much they're spending annually, this kind of tells me as a technologist, how can we, how can we help these companies become more efficient? So we're trying to change the way that consumers watch content, whether it's on a TV, a tablet, a mobile phone. And I hope many of you are sitting here with, a, with me and thinking, how can we enable these other customers and these, these companies get their content in consumers' hands much faster? And not only that, now people are being able to create their own t TV shows and their own originals faster than ever. So how can we get that content in consumers' hands quickly? So in 2017, the, the top streaming networks, they had 236 Emmy nominations, compared with the traditional networks at 198. So again, we're starting to see that, that, that shift, and it's been happening over several years, but here's some solid data that kind of you know, looks at that point. So what I'd like to do is I want to take a step back, and I want to look at the traditional encoding approach. And historically, it's been very taxing on an overall infrastructure, whether you have virtual machines, whether you're still in a, like a data center. So let's take a look. So the traditional encoding or transcoding architecture, you have this media content, or perhaps you call it your data lake, whether it's S3, maybe you have some enterprise storage arrays or NAS arrays, and then in the center, you have your encoding farm. So again, this could be virtual machines. These could be you know, many, many servers. And at the bottom, this is where you're, you're typically keeping your artifacts. So I've already run through my encoding pipelines. Now I want to store that data. And eventually, I want to serve it up to all of my users, to all their mobile devices, whether it's a mobile device, whether it's a TV, whether it's an Xbox or PlayStation, et cetera. But you've got to serve it up somehow. When we look at this, like it's first off, how familiar does this look? I know personally from my experience, I spent a lot of time in a data center where I was helping a customer. I actually had my, my hoodie on where I was helping racking and stack these servers, configure these servers, helping try to automate these things. And you know, between us, it wasn't a great experience you know, being there cold sitting on the, the data center floor. So how many of you, does this look familiar to anybody? I mean, so when I look at this, and I was in that data center with my hoodie on. I was like, man, there's got to be a better way to do this. We have all this hardware that we're sitting there racking and stacking. Things were not set up correctly. Things weren't running the, the way we wanted to. Some network cables were not configured properly. So what I'm driving at is, is that your initial operational overhead was huge to get this off the ground. Not only was it was huge, things were failing. So that was just on the compute side. But that's the encoding farm. But sometimes you don't just have your traditional hardware. You may even have these appliances, these specialized appliances that you use for your encodes. What happens when they break? Oh, you got to open up a ticket with the vendor. So there's, there's just a lot of operational headache here. So that's the operational piece. What about all the upfront costs? So this particular customer I have in mind, I mean, they spent a lot of money upfront just to get this gear in place in their facility on time, if it was ever on time. So not only were the cost concerns, this gear was running the entire time. It was always on. And we asked them, well, why do you guys have this gear all the time? They're like, well, we need it because we have these, these peaks, and we need to be able to, to handle the peak load. OK, so at the end of the day, there was no elasticity. If they needed to be elastic, it's picking up the phone and calling one of their hardware reps to get more hardware. So 
We've talked about the operational concerns around the network, just the overall hardware, but there's another missing piece here. So this is all, this is all great, and the encoding farm, okay, so you have it all set up, but what about I want to start looking at AI? And sure, there's open source technologies out there, but it's kind of difficult. And at, at AWS, we have some services that you can leverage from an encoding perspective and a media and entertainment perspective that can really help your business. So with all that said, it's just, there's, there's a lot of operational overhead, there's a lot of financial overhead when you, when you consider this approach, and there's gotta be a better way. So let's look at transcoding at scale. And there's some, some AWS services that you really need in your toolbox so we can avoid being that person sitting in the data center with their hoodie at three in the morning. So let's take a look at this. Number one, Amazon Recognition. Amazon Recognition is a service that makes it easy to add deep learning image analysis to your applications. And you say, well, wait, Paul, we're talking about media and entertainment and video. Well, your, your videos are nothing more than a bunch of images. They're a bunch of frames. So we're gonna talk about how recognition can help you. And personally, recognition is, is probably one of the, the, the services that I love working with the most within AWS because there's so many different use cases. So why should you use Amazon recognition? Number one, object and scene detection. So I have this, you know, I'm moving away from this traditional infrastructure and now I'm, I'm, I'm getting on board with, with AWS and I'm using Amazon recognition and now I can look at what's actually happening in my video scenes, in my actual frames, and I can say, hey, you know, maybe that's a swimming pool, or that's a dog, or that's a car, or that's a motorcycle. I can start pulling out interesting data. Two, facial analysis. So when I look at facial analysis, I can start comparing, hey, is that person angry? How are they feeling? What's their overall sentiment? I can start capturing some of that data. Facial comparison, you can actually compare and look for similarities between two different faces in, 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 in a picture or a video with, with frames. So with facial recognition, facial recognition is really interesting because let's say, again, in a media context, let's say what you're trying to do is you're trying to catalog every time you see Tom Cruise or some other famous celebrity in your content. As an example, C-SPAN is actually using recognition to go through their entire catalog and they're looking for, hey, who's this center? And they're providing that information to their users. So overall, they're providing a better user experience. And then lastly, this is something that we actually just announced last week, is text detection. And text detection, there's a lot of different use cases here, which we're, we'll get into. <clears throat> so I touched on this a little bit, but object and scene detection. Within recognition, you have this notion of labels. And what you can see up here on the screen, these are the actual labels that recognition is detecting in that specific scene. So whether that's an image or it's a, it's a, it's a video where you, have, you actually have the frame that you're sending over to recognition, these are the, the details that you can pull out. So whether it's a swimming pool or a chair or a plant, you can capture some of this data and then you can persist it into some sort of database if you'd like to later be able to go scan through this. Next is facial analysis. And I personally, again, I think this is an incredible capability. And what I wanna point out here is sentiment analysis. So I can see if this person is happy, I can see if they're angry, I can get a quick feeling of how they're feeling about the content. So in a media context, what does that really mean for me? So let's say I have a screener, or I have a test audience, and I have a bunch of people watching this content, and I quickly wanna say, what do they think about this content at that specific moment in time? You could capture this. Not only do we capture sentiment, but also facial landmarks, 
whether do they have facial hair, do they have a beard, are their eyes open, there's some demographic data, whether it's a male or female. And then the other thing you can see here in these scores, we call these our confidence scores. So how accurate does recognition believe the actual data is? So facial recognition. This is another interesting capability. And we recently announced that now we can actually recognize 100 faces within, within an image. And what this allows you to do, there's several different use cases here, but you can compare faces in two different images and you could say there's a match or there's not. And <clears throat> when you're looking for these matches, again, from a media perspective, I gave the example of looking for a celebrity in your content. Maybe you want to provide like an, an Amazon X-ray-like service where you can go through and you can say, show me every time where Brad Pitt or some other celebrity shows up in this content and then your users can search on that. Facial recognition will, be, will allow you to do that. And then, you know, I've touched on the celebrities a little bit, and so of course that goes along with, <clears throat> that goes along with the media space. But celebrity recognition. Celebrity recognition is, is relatively new, but now you can have your celebrities being automatically detected. So whether it's David Ortiz, or maybe it's someone like Andy Jassy, you can detect this, and again, you have the confidence score that can tell you when that individual is there. And then finally, image moderation. So when I have people uploading content, and we'll show you here later, later in the demo, but if people are uploading content, I quickly want to know if it's adult content or it's ex explicit. And I want the system, I want recognition to tell me, hey, maybe we should flag this content. So you can go through your entire video library or content library, and recognition can tell you, we should, we should tag this as being explicit or suggestive. So I promise we get back to this, and this is text detection. I think this is another extremely powerful capability. So again, this is, this is extracting the, the textual content from a scene, from, from a frame, and now you can do something with it. And so what that means is, let's say you're trying to capture sports scores from an, an NBA game or something similar. Or maybe you want to look at you know, capturing advertisement information in different commercials. You could capture that text and you could persist it and you could later go search on it. So you could say, tell me every time where you see the, the, the word smiling or you see the word Starbucks or something similar, you'd be able to detect that in your content and be able to persist that. So we talked about recognition. And again, recognition is a very exciting service. But when we looked at the, the current and traditional approach to encoding, we want to move further and evolve to looking at serverless. So with AWS Lambda, this lets you run code without provisioning or managing servers. I wish I had this a couple years ago. <clears throat> you pay for only what you, what you need in 100 millisecond increments. But anyways, AWS Lambda is a compute service that lets you run code without managing servers. You can scale, monitor, and trigger based on events automatically on your behalf. So let's look at it. <clears throat> so with Lambda, you can bring your own code, whether it's Node, Java, Python, or C Sharp. <clears throat> you can have synchronous models or asynchronous models. It's very easy to use. It's integrated with, with our other services. So if you're familiar with IAM, you want to integrate with your security policies, very simple. From a networking perspective, it natively integrates into your VPCs, so you can lock everything down. You can have fine-green controls. 
And then from a resource model perspective, what you're doing with Lambda is you're executing specific pieces of code. These are specific functions that you're executing. So you don't need to worry about having you know, a 64 gig VM or a 32 gig RAM VM. You really don't need that much. So you can select how much memory you need from 128 megs up to 1.5 gigabytes. And then your CPU and network capabilities are allocated proportionally. So we touched on a little bit about how your code is driven by events. And this is a very pervasive capability because now instead of me saying, I have this video asset and I actually want to do an encoding job, I can automate that entire workflow. So first, you have some sort of entity that actually triggers your function. Call it your event source. And then your events trigger something, your function that could be a change in data, Maybe you're using DynamoDB, and every time there's something written to DynamoDB, I want to be able to trigger some sort of event. So going back to recognition, let's say you're starting to scrape your content for this textual information, and then you're persisting that, and every time you're writing it to DynamoDB. And the example I gave, maybe it is a coffee company that you're looking for, and every time you see that specific coffee company, you want to have an alert, or you want to build a dashboard. You could alert on that every time. Second, so we have the alerting piece, then what about the actual code? And this is your core code. Again, these are functions that are being executed based on some sort of event that you see. And we talked about the, resource, the resourcing and the constraints, and that's automatically taken care of for you at the time of launch when you, when you say, I want 1.5 gigs of RAM or what have you. And then lastly, this is your code. You guys fully manage this. And you can lock it down. You can apply IAM policies to control what other services this is allowed to talk to. It's, you can assign what S3 buckets it's allowed to talk to. So you have extremely granular controls. So in terms of the event sources, <clears throat> number one with the media entertainment group or vertical is probably going to be S3. So you have this massive catalog of all, all, all of your, your videos that now you want to run through some sort of pipeline, every time you're dropping that asset into S3, it's going to trigger what's called an S3 put object event. So let's say I have a video of my children. I'm uploading it, you know, child video one, and it gets put onto S3. Immediately, it triggers an event and can begin encoding. Not only S3, we talked about DynamoDB, but other areas that you'll see Lambda in use is Amazon Alexa, and with Alexa, you can easily write skills that are going to be integrated with Lambda behind the scenes. <clears throat> Another thing to call out here is the simple notification service, Amazon SNS. With simple notification service, as I'm walking through this pipeline and I'm using different services, I can trigger notifications. And when that notification happens, instead of saying, you know, I want to have an email notification, I can actually trigger another Lambda call. So you can get these really interesting workflows that are happening. And for the, for the Unix users here in the room, you can also schedule CloudWatch-type cron events. So if you, periodically, if you want to trigger Lambda functions, you can absolutely do this. And this list is only growing over time. So, <clears throat> so we've talked about recognition. We've talked about Lambda. Now let's dig into actually transcoding. So Elastic, Amazon Elastic Transcoder is a highly scalable, easy to use, and cost-effective way for developers and businesses to convert 
media files from their source format into versions that will play back on your smartphones, your PCs, or any other devices that, that you'd like. So how would I actually look at using Elastic Transcoder? Why should I use Elastic Transcoder? Number one, it is fully managed for you. You don't have to worry about any of these appliances or any of these servers ever breaking down for you. It's fully managed, it's serverless, and it's running in the cloud. So you can have a number of different input formats, and you can bring it to Elastic Transcoder, and Lambda will actually trigger the event to say, let's begin transcoding this specific media content. DRM is supported, so if you need to leverage DRM, it's there. If you need to leverage encryption, encryption is, is built into the product. And throughout, I've been talking about video and, and recognition, so the secret here is, with Elastic Transcoder, you can capture thumbnails. So for my videos, I can capture a thumbnail and I can pass that over to recognition to be able to, to extract that, those meaningful labels and be, begin to build some sort of catalog or index with that information. <clears throat> so maybe from a 50,000 foot view, this is a, a very basic transcoding pipeline. So again, you're going to be putting your information into S3 S3 is going to trigger some sort of event. It's going to fire off Elastic Transcoder. You're going to put your artifacts back into S3, perhaps in a different bucket where it's your encoded bucket. And then one service that I haven't called out here specifically is CloudFront. This is our content delivery network. And what you would likely have is you would have S3 serving up as your origin. These are the files that are now encoded, and then it's going to go to CloudFront and it's going to spread it throughout, of our, throughout our points of presence around the world. Why would you have this? You'd have this because you want your users to have a better or a superior user experience because those files are going to be pushed to the edge, so this could be extremely low latency, and they're going to be able to access those files quickly. So again, this is a high-level view, and we'll drill in a little bit deeper. But now, once it's on CloudFront, now all of these devices are all available, whether it's your Xbox, your mobile phone, your television, your computer. Now you can access all of them. So moving along, we announced a new service this week. AWS Elemental Media Convert. This is a file-based video processing service that allows anyone with any size content library to easily and reliably transcode on-demand content for broadcast and multi-screen delivery. So you guys might be saying, well, wait, Paul, you just told us about Elastic Transcoder. Why do we want to use Media Convert? They're similar technologies, and when you go through this workflow, you can pick what works best for you. So broadcast-grade capabilities, it's fully managed, it's, it's extremely reliable, very easy to, to, to use. There's support for a number of input codecs, and the inverse, same for output, and extremely important, pay-as-you-go pricing. So in terms of the input codecs, whether it's MPEG-1 or 2, H.263 or 264, it's fully supported. QuickTime and HLS, fully supported. And as your workload begins, and as you throw more and more at the system, it will automatically scale up to, to be able to address your needs. So looking at this encoding pipeline, the only thing that has really changed is now instead of using Amazon Elastic Transcoder, we have AWS Elemental Media Convert. So if we, if we think way back in the beginning, when I shared the traditional uh, transcoding architecture, being able to swap these, these encoders, 
that would take a significant amount of time. And here, it's literally making a change of your API calls. So finally, <clears throat> I, can, I can look through my data, I can understand it, I can kick off this, this event-driven workflow, I can transcode everything, now I want to be able to persist it. Where would I persist this? Here we're going to use Amazon DynamoDB. Amazon DynamoDB is a fast and flexible NoSQL database for all applications that need consistent single-digit latency at any scale. So with a NoSQL database, I don't have to worry about schemas. I don't have to worry about actually configuring the different columns for my database. I can just start injecting data into this. And why? One, it's fully managed. I don't have to worry about my database anymore. I don't need to call my DBA to say, I need more table space for, the, for this database. <clears throat> it's fast, it's extremely performant, and not only is it performant, you can automatically auto-scale your performance. You can create, you can add more capabilities from a read and write perspective dynamically. So as you increase your write capacity units and your read capacity units, you can obviously do the inverse too, where you can say, I don't need that capacity anymore. And so what is that doing for you? That is saving your, your, your business money, and it's also providing a superior user experience for your end customers and your users. This nicely pl plugs into your event-driven programming model using something like Lambda, and of course, this is fully integrated into Amazon's IAM policies and, and fine-grained access control. So the major takeaway here is you really wanna focus on running your applications and not having to worry about the database. And I think that's the whole purpose of looking at the serverless approach. So in terms of high, highly availability, databases and persistence is extremely important. And at AWS, we don't treat this lightly either. So number one, with your data, we're actually replicating your data. It's continuously being written to actually three availability zones. And an availability zone can be one or more data centers. An availability zone is, is in within a region. Uh, and within that region, you have these different facilities. And this is, this is designed for 99% availability. <clears throat> so just stepping back, let's look at putting everything together. Let's actually build a serverless machine learning transcoding platform, at least logically. <clears throat> so what are some of the benefits? We talked in the beginning about some of the pain points of the guy in the hoodie in the data center being cold and you know, he wanted to be able to scale and I couldn't scale because I had to order this new equipment. So I have access to on-demand resources. And not only do I have access to on-demand resources, I have multiple similar resources and I can pick what type of transcoding engines that I wanna use. I have scale-out compute that I don't have to think about. Every time an event is fired with Lambda, it automatically is scheduled and provisioned. I don't have to worry about any of that. There's no server management. I don't have to worry about that. There's no idle capacity. So when your boss says, well, what are we doing with all these servers or all these virtual machines? There's no more idle capacity. And it's highly available from end to end by design. And of course, there's simple integration with our AI services. So one of the takeaways was, how could I actually begin using AI with my media workflows? And you can absolutely do this with a serverless platform. So let's drill in a little bit more and actually see what some of the data looks like when we get, that comes from recognition. So when we're actually extracting some of this data from the video frames, <clears throat> whether we're detecting the facial features, emotion, gender, or eye position, or if we're looking at adult content, you have this notion where you can see here's the age range, here's this person smiling, and you can look at the confidence scores. 
and maybe for some of you in the back it might be hard to see, but you can look there and you see some of the keys where it's providing the value uh, where gender, it's male or female, and here's the confidence score. So this information is what you'd be persisting into something like DynamoDB. And once you're starting to catalog that information, now you can go back and you can search through your entire library for this. So one thing I want to reference is, is today, Turner announced that AWS is their preferred cloud platform. And they share that they're looking at moving 15 petabytes of data of CNN archival footage over to S3 and AWS. And one of the things they called out in the announcement was they want to begin looking at advanced AI services. So when I think about Turner and CNN, imagine the content that you'd be able to go through as a user going to CNN or similar looking for something. You could quickly classify all their data and they can get access to it via a service like recognition. So you can programmatically determine content from the actual video's metadata. Very powerful. So here, <clears throat> we have this guy looks like he's having a good time on vacation, but really what we're trying to, to look at is, is that, is this adult content? Is it explicit content? And as we touched on in the beginning, recognition can absolutely go through your content and analyze this information. So again, staying with the confidence, you can look at the confidence score, saying 99%, we believe it's suggestive. Then they even tell you, hey, it's male swimmer or it's underwear. And then you're looking at another, another piece of feedback was, it looks like there are revealing clothes. I talked about sentiment analysis and emotion in particular. And I think this is one of the, the coolest use cases. But here we have Peyton Manning, maybe through you know, his 50th touchdown, and you can see, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. That's a good result. And so I think recognition is pretty accurate. And the next one is, is well, is he sad? 3%. You know, maybe he's a little bit sad because he didn't really zip it in there the way he wanted to. But overall, I think he's OK. And is he angry? Eh, I think he's OK. They're probably going to win the game. But overall, the whole idea with sentiment analysis is, again, you can go through your content and you can detect this in your imagery, in your, in your frames, and you can, you can catalog this information so you can later search on it. So we were looking at the raw JSON, and you might say, well, Paul, there's all these different services and recognition. I've never really used it before. How difficult is it to work with? Well, here's the CLI. I'm just using the, the basic AWS CLI. I was actually using it here on my laptop, and you can see there's really one argument that really changes here. The third argument, you can see it. Detect faces or detect moderation labels. And the syntax is essentially the same. You have your S3 object, where it's saying, what bucket is that object in? What's the name of that object? And then you're going to get back the, the attributes. And when you're detecting the moderation, it is exactly the same thing. And you're going to get that JSON output back to you. OK, so we talked about the CLI. Let's go a little bit, little bit deeper here. Let's look at the actual code of actually building this with Lambda. So now imagine <clears throat> I'm using, I have, I have a video asset that I've just placed into S3, and I'm dumping that content into a specific bucket. And what happens is, is an event is fired. That event is an S3 put object event. And when that event is, is fired, it triggers this specific Lambda function. And if you look at the code here, one, I have some debugging data that's just saying, hey, I received the event. Tell me about the event. I'm getting my bucket name. And I'm also getting the file name from that specific object. Then I'm going to generate a unique ID. And then I'm beginning to configure some data for my job with ETS. 
So here, I'm now configuring some of the Python dictionaries in order to leverage Elastic Transcoder. So you can see for the input object, you know, the aspect ratio, the frame rate, the resolution, and you can absolutely set all of this information. But then you can also select specific job profiles. And you can see here with the, the output object dictionary, you can see where there's a preset ID. Maybe it's a little difficult, but that preset ID matches what you have set in Elastic Transcoder. So you can say, I want this device to be working with or outputting for an iPhone or for a laptop or, or TV. You can automatically set that. And now I want to create that job. So I want to create the Elastic Transcoder job. And then once that happens, I want to be able to insert that record. You can see this last method, insert to DynamoDB. I want to insert the outputs back to Dynamo. So here's the recognition code. Now I insert it into DynamoDB, but I want, to, I want to be able to look at the data that I'm getting from recognition. So remember, some of the secret sauce with Elastic Transcoder is I can take that video asset and I can create thumbnails at a predetermined time and then I can send this off to recognition to be able to capture data. So now with recognition, I'm going to capture this data. And you can see here the method is detect labels. And it's going to detect labels on that specific bucket with that file name. And the other thing that's, that's great is you can say how many labels do you actually want back? And here I said give me 10 and the minimum confidence score I said is 50 or 50%. And when you think about 50, anything really less than that, you start getting some erroneous data. So you know, 50 is a good starting point. So not only are you detecting labels, but there are additional methods. They said, well, there's content moderation. So detect moderation labels, we can do that. Then we can also detect faces in our content. So you could, have, you could go through your data and capture this, and then obviously insert that back into DynamoDB. And this is where we're doing that. So that insert to DDB. This is the method where we're doing that. So we have a table name within recognition, within DynamoDB called recognition. Again, this is a NoSQL database, so I didn't have to set up or configure any of these columns. So once I put that data into my code here, into my Lambda code, and my recognition ID, my video ID, the name of that, the, the name of that, uh, of that label, and then the, the associated confidence score. Was it 50, was it, was it 75? And then what second did I actually capture that label? And then, and then, of course, I have the date. So now I can go back and see exactly when that occurred. <clears throat> so this put item, this put item method is ultimately what's allowing you to, to ingest this or put this data into DynamoDB. And this is part of the native Bodo 3 Python SDK code. So. <clears throat> The serverless pipeline workflow from somewhat of a higher level, we can see the overall workflow is you have an S3 video asset that's living in your bucket. Every time you put that object, it creates and fires off a Lambda function. When that Lambda function is triggered, you schedule your Elastic Transcoder job. When that Elastic Transcoder job runs, it's going to create a thumbnail into an S3 bucket. That S3 bucket is going to create an event that's going to trigger another Lambda function. That Lambda function is going to now go to Amazon Recognition and going to extract those labels and that metadata. And then you're going to stick it back into DynamoDB. One thing that is not explicitly called out here is what about the artifact? What about the actual encoded asset? And that would also be stored in your S3 bucket. <clears throat> The only major change here when we look at this, this pipeline is we went from ETS 
and we changed it to media convert. So again, the flexibility of working with the Amazon AWS ecosystem allows you to interchange these different components as needed. <clears throat> All right, so we've walked through the entire pipeline, we've walked through the various services, and it's great that we're able to do this conceptually, but let's actually look at this running. So let's do a little demo here. Okay. This is an app uh, that I built, and this is using Lambda, DynamoDB, S3, Elastic Transcoder, and all the components that we talked uh, about today in recognition, obviously. So quickly looking at this, this is just giving you a simple, I mean, this is um, just a basic page that, that I've built here and you know, very familiar with other you know, video streaming type sites. But here you can quickly see, here's, here's the video. I can say I like or I don't like it. I can capture these votes. And then I can actually look at a timeline of what recognition was capturing per second. And we'll walk through some of this. And then finally, here's a heat map. So I can see, you know, perhaps at you know, second five, I can see it detected a bush or it's in the outdoors. So these are, this is the object or scene detection element that recognition is, is able to capture. So <clears throat> let's just say, you know, um, I am a dog fan, so I'm just gonna say, okay, I, I, I like this. And here's a car race. And this is the same, this is the similar concept, but one thing to note here is, there are no virtual machines or no servers running. So this web application is actually hosted on S3. So I don't have to worry about scaling. I can, I, I can have my cache layer, my CDN in front that's serving out this content. The, the persistence layer is DynamoDB. So every time you're seeing these votes, every time you're hitting the like or, or dislike button, that's being inserted into DynamoDB. So let's go ahead and play this. And this is a race. This was at the Sonoma Raceway in Northern California. But what's interesting here is you can see at the bottom, you can see this updating real time. So as you're going through, this is querying from DynamoDB and actually pulling out those labels real time, and you can see them changing. And the size of those labels is really dependent on what the confidence score is. So clearly it's saying, hey, I think there's a highway there, and I think that's, that's pretty accurate. And there's a freeway and there's a road. But then you can see some of the smaller ones, grassland or field. And when you look at the heat map, you can see, uh, you know, based on, again, on the size, if we look at second eight, you can see some of the similar data. What I'm trying to represent here is for anyone in the media industry, there are multiple ways to visualize this data. And so if, whether it's on a timeline or you want to have some sort of word map or you want to have a heat map, you can capture all of this. So that's really interesting, but, you know, Paul, I don't care about you playing, you know, when you're racing in Sonoma. Let's actually walk through the full end-to-end -end process. So we're gonna upload a file here. And one thing to note here is you can see in the background it says automatically trimmed to 30 seconds. I personally trimmed it to 30 seconds because I didn't wanna have uh, too much data sitting in S3, uh, but you can automatically tune this within Elastic Transcoder. So now what's happening is we just uploaded this video file, and that video file is, was just placed into an S3 bucket. That S3 bucket is going to, let's show this again. That video file is going to sit in that S3 bucket. It's going to trigger a put object event with Lambda. 
Lambda is going to fire off Elastic Transcoder or Media Convert. It's going to generate thumbnails. Those thumbnails are going to trigger another uh, put, put object event within S3. That's going to trigger additional AWS, uh, AWS Lambda events. And then recognition is going to go out and extract that information and finally place it in DynamoDB. So let's take a look if our pipeline worked. So here's our dog, which we like. Here's the race, which we like. And here's our video that was just uploaded. Let's go ahead and play this. So this was in the registration area. This was taken yesterday. Which we all were there. But again, <clears throat> we don't have to listen to the sound. But if we look down here, you can see it capt it's capturing all this, all the scene data, essentially real time. And when I say essentially real time, to go through this process, it actually takes you know, roughly a couple minutes. But again, you know, I can look at my timeline and I can see you know, per second. Again, this is just one visualization of what's happening. Okay. So going back, the serverless pipeline, and to kind of wrap things up, when we think about the traditional encoding approach, that traditional encoding approach relies on you having your, your infrastructure, whether it's VMs or servers. It's very taxing operationally. There's a lot, of, a lot of financial overhead if you have to go procure this additional hardware. There's capabilities that you can't necessarily leverage if you want to look at additional AI services, something like Amazon Recognition. But this is something that you guys can absolutely build today, and this will, this will benefit your consumers, and you can take advantage of the nonlinear television revolution that is happening right now. So with that said, I'm going to wrap up here, and I really appreciate everybody's time today, and have a great week at reInvent. Thank you very much.